we began a, uh, just kind of a mini three-week series called Dead Men Walking. Again, as Chad and I talked, that wasn't my original title, but this was the title Chad kind of gave me, and it actually fit really well. And so I was glad to, to make that change. But last week, we began to look in, the, in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up there uh, just to kind of give us a reference. But um, now, the other thing, <laughs> i got to say this, too, because this was kind of funny as we came in this morning. I'd never met Chris. Uh, I'm a part of the management team for the church plant in Frederick. Chris and his wife, Maggie, who are with us today, um, they were youth ministers down in Florida, left their job down there, a paying job, to come up here to be on support <laughs> so they could be a part of planting a church in Frederick, Maryland, uh, with a friend of theirs, Michael Bartlett. And uh, I'm a part of that management team for that church plant, and it's awesome to have you guys here. But when I walked in this morning, those of you that know him, I thought it was Parker Dahl up on stage. <laughs> okay? He looks just like Parker, and we're going... I had several people go, I didn't know Parker could sing and play. <laughs> I didn't either, but great to have you, man. Um, so anyway, side note, but I, I spied you back there, and I go, man, I got to say that. that. That's awesome. But we began a, uh, just kind of a mini-series called Dead Men Walking. As we looked at the first chapter uh, of the, uh, I mean, the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite passages, and the two things that we discovered last week, one is this, uh, you can't save you. No matter what you do, you can't save you. And the reason is this, because we're dead men walking. I mean, that's the reason. In fact, in this passage, Paul basically says that. He says, you were dead in your sins and what you used to live. He said, we follow the ways of the world. We, we uh, do basically what we want to do. We follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan. And we only deserve the wrath of God. I mean, that's who we are apart from Christ. So without Jesus in our life, that's who we are. We're dead men walking. And you can't save you. But even though the first three verses are pretty ugly and hopeless, Paul changed everything in the fourth verse. And here's what we discovered. You can't save you, but guess what? He can. And so he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, he has made us alive even when we were dead in our sins. Even when we were dead men walking, he made us alive. It is by grace you have been saved. Then he said this, he has raised us up. One of the aspects of that raising we're going to look at today and we're going to talk about is that aspect of baptism. Now, last week, uh, I mentioned that we were going to do that in two weeks, but as I began to think about the, the layout of the passage and how I wanted to really do it, this just fits so much better with what we talked about last week. So I just kind of switched things around. Next week, we're going to look at verses 8 through uh, 10 and talk about motives. That's, that's what we're going to look at next week. And then again, the next week is when we start the new series on um, marriage. So I'm excited about that. But I want us to look at that aspect of baptism. Story is told of a, there was a church that was holding a, a baptism service down at the river. They didn't have a baptismal like we have up front. They didn't have one in the church. So they did their baptisms down at the river. So they were down there. The preacher was out in the water. He was giving instructions when all of a sudden this drunk comes staggering, staggering by and sees the preacher out in the water and just walks right on out in the water and just stands right next to the preacher. Preacher looks at him and says, uh, 
Are you ready to find Jesus? The old drunk looked at him and said, I think I am. So the preacher grabs him, puts him under, brings him back up and said, Sir, did you find Jesus? The old drunk looked at him and said, Preacher, I, I, I didn't find Jesus. So the preacher took him, put him under just a little longer this time, and then he brought him up. He said, did you find Jesus that time? The old drunk goes, preacher, I didn't, I didn't find Jesus. Now the preacher's getting a little frustrated. So he takes him, puts him under for about 30 seconds, brings him up. The old drunk is spitting and sputtering and wiping his eyes, and the preacher goes, are you sure you didn't find Jesus? And with that, the old drunk just said, preacher, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> now, it's one of my favorites. Anyway, as I said a moment ago, I want to talk to you about a part of the faith process that really isn't that difficult. In fact... We're going to witness it just a little later in the service. And yet it can be one of the most misunderstood areas of our Christian walk, and it's the area of baptism. Chuck Colson writes, most Westerners take baptism for granted, but for many in the world, the act requires immense courage. In countries like Nepal, it once meant imprisonment. For Soviet or Chinese or Eastern Bloc believers, it was like signing their own death warrant. You see, the Bible is very clear about the place baptism plays in the life of every believer. And it's one of those non-negotiable steps of faith that everyone who takes Jesus as their Lord and Savior must take. But here's what we must understand. In the Bible, this was a natural part of the conversion experience. In other words, in the New Testament... When a person gave their life, gave their heart to Jesus, baptism was immediate. Baptism was just a natural part of what they did. In other words, they didn't argue whether or not they needed it. They didn't argue about how it was done. They just did it. They understood that it was another step of faith in giving their life to their Savior. But the problem today is that we've been Christianized. And we've allowed the teachings of man and the teachings of denominations to overshadow the teachings of God. And when that happens, let me tell you, it will always cause dissension and it will always cause confusion. Always. So, when it comes to accepting and living out the amazing gift of salvation, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, has made us alive in Christ it is by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up. When it comes to living out and accepting that amazing gift, we've got a choice to make. Will we follow the teachings of God or the teachings of man? Will we be obedient to what God has to say through his word, even when it's difficult or goes against the teachings of a particular church? You see, this is a choice that everyone must deal with at some point in their faith journey. Now, I know right up front that I'm probably going to step on some toes as we go through this. I may be step on both your feet. But if you've been here very long, hopefully you know me and you know my heart and you know that I love you guys. 
and I don't want to be offensive to anyone, but you have got to understand something, and that is this. I'm held accountable by my God for what I teach you. And so it's important to me that I give you what the Bible says, even if it makes you squirm a little. So let's get started. Now, anytime the subject of baptism comes up, there are always some questions that come up as well. And I just want to briefly talk about these this morning because, as I think Chad may have mentioned, we have a baptism class coming up, I think, on the 12th uh, during the second hour. And so uh, he's going to go in a lot more detail. So I'm just going to kind of briefly hit some of these questions. The first question is simply this. Why do you dunk people? I mean, why can't we just be sprinkled and call it a day? Okay, that's, that's usually one of the questions in some form of that. Well, the Greek word for baptism is baptizo. It literally means to immerse, to dip, or to plunge, or as I've mentioned before, to put under until you bubble. Okay? It's a symbol that now our whole life, our whole being is in Jesus. You see, baptism is a very powerful reminder of God's amazing grace, his mercy, his love. It's a powerful reminder that even though we used to be dead men walking, guess what? We've now been raised and given a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ is, in, is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. Understand, the church had no other form of baptism but immersion until the Middle Ages when the practice of sprinkling or pouring was introduced by man, not God. Now, the second question that usually arises is this. Do I have to be baptized right away or can I wait a while before I do it? Again, unfortunately, in our society, we've been Christianized. And so baptism tends to be an afterthought. But in the Bible, again, it was always the first response to a changed life and a changed heart. It was that outward demonstration of the inward change. That's why you'll always find the, those times throughout the New Testament when, when somebody gave their life to Christ, baptism was the first thing they did. It was immediate response to what had happened already inside their heart. And so if I've sat down and talked with you about this or we've talked about decisions, you know I always tell you that is this, never put off doing what you know you should do because you know something's going to come up that's going to just push it and push it and push it and pretty soon you'll be months down the road going, man, I was going to do that but I never did. You see, our enemy's good about bringing things into our life that's going to pull us away from those things that are the most important. So yes, I always encourage people to do it as soon as you're ready. Then there's usually a third question um, as well, and it's this. I was sprinkled as a baby. Do I have to do it again? Again, I love you guys. It's not my intent to be offensive to anyone, but you need to hear me out. It is wonderful if you grew up Catholic or, as I did, uh, my first um, 14, 15 years of my life, I grew up Methodist. Presbyterian or whatever, I was sprinkled as an infant. It, it, it's wonderful if your folks had you dedicated, had you sprinkled as an infant by, uh, as a means of saying, from this point on, we just want to raise this child up in the Lord. We want to raise them to be like Christ. But understand this, infant baptism and sprinkling in this context 
is nowhere in the Bible. You're not going to find it. Baptism only comes after we reach the point in our lives when we can, on our own, accept Jesus into our lives. And that's something only you can do. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mom can't do it for you. Dad can't do it for you. Grandma can't do it for you. Grandpa can't do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. It is a decision that only you can make. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is very personal. He wants a relationship with you, period. It's a personal surrender. It's a personal confession. And it's a personal choice that we make to be baptized. But it's something that everyone who accepts Jesus must do. Again, I'm not questioning anyone's salvation. That's not my job. My job is to give you the word of God and to tell you what the Bible teaches. Now, with those questions behind us, let me, let me answer one more, and it's simply this. Then why should we be baptized? I mean, why should we go through this process of baptism? Well, the first reason is this, because it allows us to follow the example that Jesus gave to us. It allows us to follow the example that Jesus gave. You see, the cool thing about Jesus is that he never asked us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. So the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 3 or you can follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading with verse 13. Look what it says. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River and wanted John to baptize him. But John tried to stop him saying, what? Why do you come to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. Let me stop there for just a moment. Let me put, hit the pause button. In John's account, in the Gospel of John, in I think it is in chapter 1, chapter 2, right in there, uh, Jesus comes to John. If you remember uh, the, the story, when John sees Jesus coming to him at the Jordan River, John the Baptist, not John the, the Apostle, John the Baptist, when he sees him, he's there baptizing. He's baptizing Jews for the repentance of sins. He sees Jesus, and what does he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of man. He's the one I was telling you about. You see, the Pharisees had been questioning John the Baptist, questioning who he was, why he was baptizing. He simply said, the one who's coming after me, he's the one that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And so John says to Jesus, why do you come to me? Man, you're the Lamb of God. You're the Messiah. You ought to be baptizing me. Then look what it says. Jesus answered, let it be this way for now. We should do all things that are God's will, or other versions may have, to fulfill all righteousness. And so John agreed to baptize Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. The heavens opened. He saw God's Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and am very pleased with him. Now, at this point... In time of Jesus' baptism, at this point in time in history, baptism, baptism served one of three purposes. First of all, there was a baptism of repentance, like I just mentioned. This is what John, 
the Baptist was preaching. This is what he was performing. This is what he was doing at the Jordan River that day. But understand, Jesus didn't need this type of baptism. Why? Because Jesus had never sinned. If he had, he couldn't have been the Messiah. He couldn't save us from ours. So Jesus didn't need a baptism of repentance because he had never sinned. The second type of baptism was this. There was a baptism of conversion. In other words, it's the, it's the kind of baptism that was for people who desired to convert to Judaism. So if you were a Gentile who wanted to, to be a convert, you would be immersed. You would be baptized into water. But again, Jesus didn't need this type of baptism either. Why? Because he was born a Jew. He didn't need that. He didn't need to convert. But there was a third type. You see, in the Jewish faith, the law dictated that especially the high priest was to be washed with water. And the temple had pools set aside just for that purpose. So back in Leviticus chapter 8, God instructs Moses to bring Aaron and his sons forward to wash them with the water. It was a baptism by water. Then he was to anoint Aaron's head with oil to consecrate or to set him apart as a high priest. This is the beginning of Aaron's ministry as a high priest. You see, Jesus' baptism was more in line with this third type of baptism. Why? Because it marked the beginning of his ministry. It was his inauguration. He was letting the world know that he was accepting his ministry as our high priest and his role as our Messiah. That's why we read these words in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Look what it says. Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has gone into heaven, let us hold on to the faith we have. And as you read in Jesus' baptism, when he came up out of the water, the Father anointed his Son with the Holy Spirit as the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And God spoke and God reaffirmed his love for his Son. You see, Jesus never sinned, but the reality is we do. So in his baptism, he identified himself with sinful man. He came to the river because we are sinners. He was washed because we're not clean. He became like us so that we could become like him. He did what was right. He fulfilled all righteousness because we so often do what is wrong. You know, I thought about that. And the thing that it reminded me, and I think we forget about sometimes, is this. Righteousness or being in that right relationship with God, doing the will of God. It's not just about, it's just not, it's not just about what we don't do. Okay? A lot of times it's about what we do do. Jesus demonstrated the beginning point of how to be in a right relationship with the Father at his baptism. And so why are we baptized? Because we get to follow the example of Jesus. He said it for us. And in my mind, if the Son of God, the sinless Messiah, needed it to, to put him in that right relationship to fulfill the will of God in his life, how much more do we need it? But the second reason is this, because the one you say you're following told you to. Now let me tell you, if we don't talk about any other reason except this one, this one is good enough, isn't it? I mean, think about it. The one you say you're following 
And so if you've given your life to Jesus, if you have surrendered your will, surrendered your life to him, and you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? The one you say you follow told you to. And if he told you to, that really ought to be good enough, shouldn't it? I mean, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 18. Now, these are some of the last words that Jesus gave to his men before he ascended back to the Father. Now, in my opinion, that makes them pretty important, don't you think? If they were the last, some of the last words that Jesus gave. And look at what he said. This is what he says, starting in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Think about that for a moment. Jesus says, I have been given. The, the Father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, if he has all authority, we probably ought to listen to him, right? I mean, if he's the one that has all authority, then look what he says. He says, therefore, in other words, based on the authority that the Father has given me, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In these verses, baptism is a direct command that he expects those who follow him to obey. It's a direct command. He puts it this way in Mark 16, 16. Go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who does not believe will be punished. Now, over the years, I've heard all kinds of excuses, believe me. I've been in ministry full-time now since 1980, so almost 17 years, 17 years, 37 years, yeah. Okay, so not only do I not remember names of staff's family, I can't add. So um, 30, the last 37 years. I've been in full-time ministry. So let me tell you, I've heard all the excuses. Somebody actually said, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I just don't know about this baptism thing. That's just too big a step, isn't it? Now, when I heard that, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world are you talking about? The big step is that you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. I mean, the big step was you surrendered yourself to Jesus. Baptism is just your first opportunity to obey him once you've surrendered your life to him. Let me tell you, if you can't get past this first command, how in the world are you going to obey and follow the other commands? If you can't even get past the first one. Or how about this excuse? Somebody said, but I don't want to get wet in front of people. I've heard that over the years a lot of times. I just don't want to get wet in front of people. Now, let me get this straight. Jesus comes to earth, leaving the very throne room of heaven. He's beaten within an inch of his life and is nailed to a cross to pay for our sins, and yet we don't want to get wet in front of other people. Back in the 1990s, about, it was about 1995, 96, I was uh, on staff. I was a worship and outreach minister at a church in Bluffton, Indiana. 
And I remember one afternoon, our senior, senior minister, uh, Pastor Larry, calls all the staff into the auditorium. He says, hey, we're going to share in, uh, uh, an older couple's baptism today. They were, I think, in their 70s, and they came. And I just remember when she, the wife, got up into the baptistry. She pulls out this bright pink plastic headgear <laughs> and puts it on. Here's what I thought. She surrendered everything to Christ but her hair. I mean, <laughs> that's what it said to me. Seriously, she, so, so she was baptized with that, that on. That's what she wanted. I don't know. Bob Russell, Bob Russell used to say, Baptism is the great equalizer because whether you've got a $10 haircut or a $75 haircut, when you come up out of the water, man, you're all going to look the same. <laughs> so it was a command of Jesus. It was a direct command of Jesus. But the third is this. It was also a command of the apostles and a practice of the early church. So as we come out of the Gospels and we come into the book of Acts, we find Jesus before his ascension. We find him giving his instructions to his disciples, and he's sending them out. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But he says, you're not going to go along because you're going to have the Spirit of God that's going to live within you. And in chapter 2, the place where they were at was filled with the Spirit. It came upon them like, uh, as the Bible says, this rushing wind, and it looked like something like tongues of fire that set upon the apostles. And as we know from that passage in chapter 2, Peter began to preach. He began to preach to a lot of the same people who had crucified Christ just 50 to 60 days earlier. You see, a lot of those who went to Passover also stayed to celebrate Pentecost, which was now at this point. So Peter preaches to a lot of the same people that had yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And he basically tells them they killed the very Son of God, the very Messiah. They killed him. They crucified him. And then look what it says. In Acts chapter 2, let's, let's start in verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's word pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Look what Peter said. He said, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Understand, once you surrender your life to Jesus, your first chance at obedience is baptism. Jesus commanded it, and the apostles backed it up through their teachings as well. Now as we go on down in that passage in chapter 2, chapter 2, Peter's words become the catalyst that launch the beginning of the church. Look at what we read starting in verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching. I love this. I don't think we can get away with it today. For a long time. <laughs> yeah. Strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And the church began. Now please understand this. 
The book of Acts is an account of how the church began. And throughout this book, there are nine specific conversion stories. Each one of them begins with someone internally putting their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. And each one of them ends with them expressing it externally in baptism by immersion. Every one of them. So Jesus commands it. The apostles commanded it and the church practiced it. But fourthly, why do we baptize? Well, we baptize because of its symbolism as well. You see, baptism is a symbol of repentance. It's an outward sign of the change that has just happened in your heart. And repentance isn't just some made-up religious word. It literally means to turn around or to turn away from. It's an about-face. If I was walking that way, I would turn around and I would walk this way. It actually comes from a culture where people were essentially nomadic and lived in a world with no maps, no GPS, no street signs, and it was easy to get lost when they're walking through the desert. And at some point as they walked, they would become unaware. The countryside was unaware anymore. It wasn't the same. It was different. And so they would choose to turn around and go a different way. That was repentance. Baptism marks the turning point for those who choose to turn away from sin and who choose to turn toward God. I love this story. It was told of a pastor. Him and his family were visiting. Uh, They were out of town. They were visiting a church of a friend of his. and So he had his kids with him, and one of his kids was a five-year-old. As you know, five-year-olds, sometimes they don't always sit through church very well. And so the, at this particular day, of course, the five-year-old was acting up. And she all of a sudden not only was disturbing the family, but she was disturbing everybody around. And he's a preacher. You know, he's like, oh, man, they, they all know I'm visiting here and, and whatever. And so he just quickly grabs her up, begins to carry her down the aisle for an attitude adjustment. They get about halfway down the aisle, and she says, But daddy, daddy, I repent, I repent. (laughs) (laughs) Baptism, in some ways, is our heart shouting out to God, I repent, I repent. I'm turning away from the old, I'm just turning to the new. So it's a symbol of repentance, but it's also a symbol of, of our death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus. You see, baptism is a, is a sign that we want to get us a fresh start, a new start, a restart in our life. We are saying that the person that we once were is not the person we want to be. The way that we used to live is not the way that we want to live now. Baptism is the powerful image of this new start because it's an image of death. It's an image of burial. It's an image of resurrection. We are showing that our old way of living has died. And because it's dead, we are burying it in the watery grave so that we can be raised with a new life and a fresh start. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we were baptized into his death, we were placed into the tomb with him. As Christ was brought back from death to life by the glorious power of the Father, so we too should live a new kind of life. Wow. What a powerful picture. 
Again, baptism paints an incredible picture of our Christian faith. That plunge beneath the water is like a death. The moment's pause when the waters sweep over us is like a burial. And coming up out of the water is a symbol of resurrection. You see, just as the waters of baptism provided Jesus Jesus with a way to identify with us, they also provided us with a way to identify with him. That's why Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Look what he says. He says, when you were placed in the tomb with Christ through baptism, you were also brought back to life with Christ through faith in the power of God. Why do you... Why are we baptized? We're baptized because it's a way of following the example of Jesus. It's it's a way of being obedient to him. And it's a way to follow what the first church put into practice for us. But it's that symbolism, that fresh start, that burial of the old so that the new could be raised. That's what's so important in our life. Let's reflect for a moment. You see, baptism is not something that has to divide since its intent is to unite us with Christ. It's just a willing plunge into the promise and the power of Jesus. It's a step of faith done in obedience as we surrender our life and will to him. And it's an outward expression of the new life that has been conceived in our hearts. Let me ask you. When does life begin? At birth? No, I think most Christians believe life begins at conception. You see, if a mother loses her baby before giving birth, is that baby any less her child? Of course not. The same can be said spiritually. If baptism represents our new birth, then we must concede that life began when the seeds of faith were first planted by the Holy Spirit. I believe, I believe that you belong to God from the moment faith is conceived in your heart and you surrender your heart and you surrender your life and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. But you need to remember that you can't live in the womb forever. You have to be born in order to truly live. And that's why Jesus said in John 3, I tell you for certain that before you can get into God's kingdom, you must be born not only by water, but by the Spirit. Humans give life to their children, yet only God's Spirit can change you into a child of God. Don't be surprised when I say that you must be born from above. Baptism represents an essential threshold that every believer must cross in order to experience the fullness of Jesus And let me tell you, it will define you for the rest of your life. I remember back on that May Saturday morning when I was a freshman in high school. And I rode my bike because I didn't drive yet. I rode my bike over to my youth pastor's house. I had breakfast with him that Saturday morning. I remember sitting across the table from him and having him open God's word. And he shared God's word with me. I'd been sprinkled as a Methodist. I was raised as a Methodist, but I had begun going to the Christian church because I was a part of their youth choir and I played guitar in it. And I remember him sharing to me with me what Jesus did for me. And I remember him sharing with me 
what I needed to do in order to accept Jesus. And I remember going down to the church that morning and having him baptize me in the Christ. I'll never forget that day. It was a defining moment in my life. It's when I expressed the change that had taken place in my heart and I expressed it outwardly in baptism. And I said, from this moment on, my old life is dead and my new life has just begun in Jesus. This morning is... This morning's going to be awesome. We've got two families who are going to do this very thing that we're talking about. Why don't you guys go get ready, if you would. We'll be taking their confession of faith a little later. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's on your heart. All I know is what the Bible says. And I'll tell you like I tell anybody I sit down with. What you've heard this morning is what the Bible teaches. Now, even if you never came back to this church again, understand, I would not tell you anything different to get you to stay. Because I'm held accountable to my God for what I give you and for what I teach you. And whether you come back here or not, that's your decision. But I'm not going to tell you anything different. Because this is what the Bible says. And so the reality is this, it's your choice. You have to come to terms with, with God on this. Will you follow and be obedient to his will, be obedient to his word, or will you follow the teachings of man? I mean, that's really the only two choices you have. In your seats were cards. If you've never been baptized and if you've never been immersed into Christ, my challenge to you is this, to do that. Why? Because the one you say you follow told you so. And ought to be good enough. If you'll take that card and fill that out, if you're interested in finding out more information, if you'd like to sit down and talk or be a part of the class, I think you can fill that on that. But if you'll turn that in into the offering plate a little later in the service, I'd appreciate that. But right now, we're just going to reflect for a moment. And if you have a decision on your heart, this is the time to make it. I just encourage you to get up where you're at and come and sit down here or stand with me down here. We'll pray with you and encourage you today. But whatever is on your heart, this is your time. Let's reflect for a moment.